Thank you very kindly. Thank you for your support of Scum of the Earth Church. You don't laugh quite as much as most of the world does when they hear our name. And uh, you probably even know that it's biblical. 1 Corinthians 4.13, if you didn't realize that, is where Paul talks about the combination of uh, persecution and just the hardship of itinerant ministry in the first century. And he says that he thinks the apostles are treated like the scum of the earth, the refuse of the world. We, uh, we did have a small church plant that unfortunately didn't outlast uh, the one pastor who started it in Colorado Springs, but we called it the refuse. So our, uh, one of our cars back in Denver probably baffles anybody who pulls up behind it and reading the bumper stickers. Um, our younger daughter had the privilege of attending University of Rochester and is now in graduate school at uh, University of Pennsylvania. So as they look at the, the bumper sticker, they see University of Rochester, scum of the earth, the refuse, University of Pennsylvania. Um, and I don't know, maybe half of them think it says refuse, but uh, it's been so good to get to know Jesse and Jesse, um, the Heilmans. Uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, the red shoes on the slide that you saw a little bit ago with the text, uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news uh, are uh, Jesse's shoes, at least uh, she's nodding, at least he preaches in them, so uh, that's always exciting. Denver is a little bigger than Bozeman, you probably knew that. <laughs> Maybe that's why you're here. <laughs> so I don't know if you uh, even have such places in the area, but uh, in the city, in Denver, there are clubs and restaurants and other places where you can go, uh, particularly if you're a young single adult looking for friendship and especially on weekends, uh, it's not uncommon to find people who are looking for someone, as they call it, to hook up with. And hooking up means finding a date, finding somebody uh, that you are attracted to and you hit it off with. And if you're really lucky, as uh, it gets defined, uh, you may head off to one home or the other and uh, spend the night together or the weekend together. There are people who uh, are regulars at doing this. There are people who do it from time to time. And if you get close enough to somebody to be able to ask, why do you do it? The answer is likely to have something to do with loneliness, 
insecurity, and a need to feel that somebody values you. How sad that that's the best people can come up with in thinking of how to find somebody who values me. And the phenomenon is not just limited to pagan, atheist, irreligious circles. You can find people who have had a background in the church. You can find people who would still call themselves Christians and define that in a variety of ways. You often will find a sense of longing, a sense of lack, but you won't necessarily find a sense of guilt or shame. Or if it's there, it's quickly suppressed with a line something like, I just don't know how to find anything better. The other thing that strikes me, and I don't know how much people have told you over the years about Scum of the Earth Church, but it's certainly true in the urban scene today, is these are not just people who are down and out. Some of them, especially if you count their families of origin, come from quite a bit of money. Some of them still have access to some of that money. Some of them have made a fair amount themselves. We use this expression, the down and out. But as I once heard a speaker years ago put it, we need to think about the up and out also. And in the Gospel of Luke, there is a story about a man who may be better than anybody that I know of in the Bible, at least in the New Testament, represented somebody who was a classic up and outer. You've heard his name, I suspect, unless you're a first-time visitor, perhaps. His name was Zacchaeus, and his story appears in Luke chapter 19. Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector and wealthy. Now, I know it's a month and a half before April 15th. Not much that registered when I used that date, but um, the closer we get, the more you'll remember tax day. And whatever you feel about taxes, and I suspect uh, it's not an overwhelmingly good feeling, you probably don't harbor the bitter hatred of somebody you personally know who has sold out to work for the enemy. Because we don't have occupying troops of a foreign nation more powerful than us on each street corner, the way Israel did in the first century with Rome. And 
tax collectors were inevitably those Jews who realized they could make a good living and maybe they didn't know of anything else they could do to get by or get by so handsomely other than work for Rome. And a tax collector wasn't on the other side of a computer. <laughs> tax collector was somebody who came with a Roman soldier by his side to your house at the appointed time to collect anywhere from 20, 25, 30% of your earnings that year. And if you weren't uh, forthcoming, the soldier would take care of that. How dare a fellow Jew be sold out to such a profession? With that background, let's read the story. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, I'll be reading... From the NIV, you're welcome to follow in whatever you like. They're all good. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short and could not see over the crowd, he ran ahead climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be the guest of a sinner. That's the only way I know how to mutter. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The NIV divides this uh, passage into five short paragraphs. I happen to think they're divided up properly. And they give four scenes, four episodes. I think there's a lesson to be learned from each of them and then a summary of the overall point in the fifth. The first point is that the up and out need to be in. Verses 1 to 4. As I've mentioned this weekend a couple of times, if you were raised in Sunday school and ever heard the story of Zacchaeus and maybe even sang a song that I think came from Scotland because it talks about a wee little man. 
you probably learned two things about Zacchaeus. He was small, and he climbed the sycamore tree. And those are probably the least significant details in the passage. But not completely irrelevant. In the ancient world, just like today, to be overly short was not honorable. Some of you remember that song from a few years ago about short people got no reason for living. Ah, what a horrible attitude. But it's there in our culture. It was there in ancient cultures. And in case you're thinking that, well, maybe there's some aspect of first century Israel that I don't understand that would make it respectable for a chief tax collector to climb onto a low branch of a nearby tree to see over the crowd, you haven't been missing anything. That looked as silly back then as it would today. And in a culture of honor and shame, it would have brought a certain measure of shame and disgrace to Zacchaeus. But how could things get any worse? He was already ostracized by his own people because of his profession. He was already considered ritually impure or unclean. He probably didn't have many friends. The Romans had no interest in actually befriending the Jews who worked for them. And the rest of his Jewish friends had already stigmatized him. He had plenty of money and the creaturely comforts they could buy. And that was about it. And so he had heard about this Jesus of Nazareth. We don't know what he had heard. He was from Jericho down in the south. Jesus spent most of his time in Galilee up to the north of Israel. Had Jesus been in Jerusalem at some point at festival time when Zacchaeus happened to be there as well? We don't know. But the fact that he's so eager to just get a glimpse of the man suggests not. What has he heard about him? That he's a miracle worker? That he spouts great wisdom? Or has he heard that he seems to have a special concern for those that the rest of the Jewish people just want to set to one side and not even think about and acknowledge that they exist in that society. We don't know. But we can assume like most human beings of most cultures that he too longed to be valued that he had a deep-seated loneliness, that he was fairly insecure. The synagogue should have been a place to take care of that. Churches should be a place to take care of that. That's been my experience. Well, 
not in the church I grew up in, but it wasn't an evangelical church. I came to faith through a Campus Life Youth for Christ club in my high school, but very quickly got involved and ever since have been in evangelical churches in several parts of the world where we have lived. And without exception, in part because that's something we look for as we look for a church when we've moved to a new community. We have treasured the friends that we've made. Can't imagine where else in society you could find a group of folks who care as much about me. (laughs) But then I was always a compliant child. I wasn't the kind Jim Dobson wrote about. (laughs) Strong-willed. I didn't go through a classic adolescent rebellion. I, I, I don't have an exciting testimony to tell you about all the vices I abandoned <laughs> when I became a believer. And over the years, I've met a lot of people with a lot of vices. Some in their past, some still in their present, who have not said that church has been the most welcoming place for them. Some of them have had their greatest trauma and their deepest hurt inflicted by people who called themselves Christians. Even elders, even pastors in evangelical churches. Sometimes we say that scum is a place for people to have their first or last try at church. They might not come to a conventional church thinking they wouldn't be welcome because they sure don't look like you. (laughs) Or they might come because they've been burned by church, but We're so different, and what kind of a name is that? Even Jay Leno notices it. (laughs) That they'll give church one last try. And hopefully, we can hang on to them. The need for the up and out is to be in. But they don't automatically walk in our doors. Which goes to the second paragraph and leads to the second point. We have to meet the needs of the up and out. Jesus has been on the road for some time. He's already three times predicted that he knows he's going to Jerusalem for the climactic Passover festival at which he will be arrested and tried and crucified. He could be forgiven for being a little preoccupied. Verse 1 says Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. No suggestion that he had any intention of stopping as the 
Crowds thronged around him, and the rubberneckers tried to catch a glimpse of him, even from a tree branch. There's no reason, humanly speaking, that he should have paid any attention to the silly little man in the tree. But he does. He goes right to the spot at the trunk of the tree, looks up. I'm interpolating that he pointed his finger because that's what I would do. <laughs> and he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. How did he know his name? Oh, well, he was Jesus. He just did things like that. <laughs> Maybe. Or maybe somebody had actually told him about him. But knowing somebody's name in the ancient world like today, but maybe even more so back then, was a way of giving a person value. You care enough to know my name. You call me by name. And then he says something downright bizarre. I must stay at your house today. And again, you may be thinking, well, we wouldn't do that, but there must be something about first century Jewish culture that I don't understand. You're fine. You're not missing anything. If anything, it was more unusual and more impolite in first century Israel to invite yourself over with 12 other hungry men in a culture where if it's the evening meal and you still have about a 10-mile hike up the road to Jerusalem and it's getting on nightfall, you're not going to try that still that evening. So you've just invited yourself for dinner and the night. Not bed and breakfast, but bed and dinner. Though maybe breakfast. I mean, you've got to have nourishment for that hike. Now, Zacchaeus was one of the few people in town who could afford it. And if he had a wife, uh, <laughs> he quickly sent word home, um, get the fire going. We got a few animals to cook. <laughs> but this still wasn't culturally done. Jesus recognizes that Zacchaeus has needs, but he also values him enough to say that he and his disciples need something Zacchaeus can offer. How often do we just think the people we want to bring to the Lord have needs that we'll try to meet? But we don't want to show that we have any needs. After all, then they might not be interested in our God because doesn't he take care of all our needs? <laughs> no, actually it works the other way around. 
If they see you're vulnerable and transparent and not perfect, they'll respect you more. Because there's enough word around the country and the world about how fake Christians can be and hide all their needs. We don't have to perpetuate that. I think of a Canadian couple who joined our faculty a few years back. Both are professional counselors and they teach counseling for us. And they have a pair of adopted Caribbean background children. And not long after moving into their home in suburban Littleton several years ago, the mom was visiting with her Jewish neighbor. And as they were getting to know each other, the older Jewish woman was asking a lot of questions about family and about background. They had been missionaries in the Philippines after growing up in Canada. Now they were adjusting to another culture. And if there are any Canadians here, even though you're not that far north, you'll be able to tell the rest of the Americans that you really aren't American. There really are differences in culture. And, and she was struggling to, uh, to adjust to this new home, and, and unexpectedly she just broke down and, and started crying. And Louise, Jewish neighbor, was the one who was able to, with her good motherly instincts, comfort and console her. And that opened the door to a spiritual conversation between the two ladies. Letting people see who aren't believers that they can meet our needs, as well as we can point them to our God who can meet their needs. But tragically, and thirdly, and in the shortest paragraph of all, simply verse 7, if we get involved with the down and out, or the up and out, or the in-between and out, or the just plain out. <laughs> Have I missed anybody? <laughs> we can expect some Christians to get upset, to object. Why? Well, because we're associating with the wrong kind of people. You know what they might do to you. <laughs> might lead you into some questionable forms of recreation or food or drink consumption or use of language. Really? Are we that weak and insecure in what we believe in? Well, if so, okay, stay away. Get your act together a little bit more. <laughs> but surely in a community that supports people from around the world, in some of the toughest areas imaginable, we can handle a Bozeman 
What do you call them here? Bars? Casinos? Pubs? Canteens? Not because you participate in something you don't believe in doing, but because that's where your neighbor who isn't going to come to church just because you invite him loves to hang out. And he'd like to introduce you to some of his buddies. And if you're willing to go, that breaks down all kinds of barriers and opens the door for conversation about just about anything you want to talk about. But the people in Jericho, like many today, saw this and began to mutter, I think it's probably those cartoon bubbles where you don't see any words, you just see asterisk, exclamation point, number sign, XXX. <laughs> or maybe I should pick some different letters. Before I left the suburban church that we had been involved in for about 15 years, I had taught Sunday school there for 12. My wife had been the missions director for nine. We brought three or four good friends that we had been meeting because at that time the only service for scum was in the evening so we could live in both worlds and we did for about two and a half years. One day I invited one of the pastors uh, and anybody he cared to pick, he picked three or four of the, the very committed, more mature Christians in the group. And I said, don't go out of your way to dress in any way other than you would normally dress for scum. <laughs> and come to my Sunday school class. And if you're willing, we'll go to church afterwards. It was pretty scary for them because they had jewelry, they had body piercing, they had tattoos, they had multicolored hair, and I don't mean part gray and part whatever it used to be. And they had leather jackets. And they really stood out as they would in this congregation, I think, looking around, unless there's somebody I'm not seeing due to the bright lights. And they were terrified of being rejected without even knowing our congregation, just because of the way we looked. Isn't that sad? About as sad as the fact that some of you would reject them because of the way they looked. And these were good Christian folks. I was proud of my Sunday school class. They did a great job. They really made them feel welcome. And the kids acknowledged it. And then the next week when we were debriefing, I was still pretty proud of my class. But I remember one lady about my age, she said, well, it wasn't hard to welcome them. 
I know that as they get a little older, they'll grow out of that. Oh, really? And if they don't? And what is there exactly to grow out of? Is there something immoral here that we're talking about? Or is it just purely external appearance and style? If you're willing to go to and welcome and maybe even coax into coming into this scary situation of homogeneous, well-dressed, white conservatives. The process can work wonders. Point four, paragraph four. Even to the point of stewardship. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, wait a minute. Try to forget that you've read this text however many dozen times in your life. Something is very wrong here. Something is missing. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stress early on in their Gospels that the core of Jesus' message as he went around the cities of Israel was to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Here is a man who needed repentance if anyone did. (laughs) And Luke doesn't even bother to tell us if he ever repented. Well, there is a scene change. There is a lapse of time from the scene in public by the sycamore fig tree to Zacchaeus' house in a world where it took several hours to prepare an elaborate meal for 13 hungry men. There would have been a chance for all kinds of conversation, and we're not told about it. It's probably reasonable to infer that somewhere along the way, Zacchaeus said, yes, Lord. My profession is not a good one. I have sinned. I want to become your follower. But if that happened, Luke doesn't bother to tell us. What he tells us is when Zacchaeus stands up, presumably a part of the mealtime proceedings, and says, I'm giving 50% of what I own to the down and out, to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, (laughs) well, of course you did. That's what chief tax collectors did in those days. I will repay back four times. You don't make a statement like that 
from a biblical perspective unless you have repented. In fact, there are a lot of people who repent and the last thing to change in their life is their spending, their pocketbook, their checkbook. If this guy is getting generous with his material possessions, you can almost guarantee he's become a follower of Jesus in this context. Have you reached that stage of maturity? Where you give generously and sacrificially to the Lord's work? And if, as you look at all of these wonderful missions you support, you say to yourself, but there's A, B, and C that I'd like to see some money given to, too, and I know the church can't support everybody, so I'm going to, on top of my generous giving to my church, give to other individuals and other organizations as well. If you've reached that stage, then you probably reached a measure of Christian maturity. So what's the point? Verse 10 sums it up. Verses 9 and 10, if we keep them together. Some commentators have said this little paragraph is the message of the entire Gospel of Luke boiled down into a couple of sentences. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. He's a Jew, though you're not treating him as one and he's not living as one. But he's one that God called. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Who do you know who's lost? Who do you know that you can begin to build a friendship with or deepen a relationship with? Down and out, up and out, in between and out, just plain out? Is it a neighbor? Is it a family member? Is it a coworker? Is it somebody you like to do outdoor recreation with? They're all around us wherever we live. I don't know that this is true of you. Nobody has told it to me. It's one of the great things about being a guest preacher. It's called hit and run ministry. <laughs> if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. But you are a remarkable congregation for having the kind of commitment to missions that you have. I don't know if you know how rare that is today. And to be able to pull off a week-long series of events in 2013 is extremely rare in North America today. You are to be commended for incredible generosity. But if by any stretch of the imagination you should be like 
some other good, strong mission churches around the country, there might be a chance that you do better at giving money for missions and supporting people who do the work for you than getting to know your unsaved neighbor and sharing with him or her and really transforming Bozeman. We must seek to save all the lost. Why are we so timid at times? One answer is we're afraid they're going to corrupt us. I couldn't put my kids in the public schools. My goodness, do you know what they talk about there? I'll give you a secret. They talk about it in the Christian schools, too. <laughs> Just not the teachers. Well, then I'll homeschool and I'll protect them from everybody. Until they die? <laughs> Sooner or later, you've got to let them fly. I would much rather let them experience everything the world has to offer while they're still in my house, and we can talk about it and debrief. But kids are different. I'm not here to argue for one kind of schooling. We need them all. You figure that out. But is it because it's what's best for the kids' education? Or is it because basically we're afraid our God isn't big enough to take care of them, and so we have to shelter them? until we no longer can, and then we'd better trust. <laughs> oh, he's gone off preaching into meddling. <laughs> and the pastor said that at 10.15, yeah, that's what it says. That's when people start to get antsy. And when you get antsy, you don't listen anymore. And a few start to walk out. And the rest start to be like verse 7. They begin to mutter. So why don't we pray? Father, thank you for a week of amazing activity. Thank you for 50-plus outreach partners who are making a difference and have made a difference in many cases for years and years at Montana State and elsewhere in the state of Montana and around the world. Father, forgive us if we've ever used our generous support of those folks as an excuse, however subconsciously, for shirking our responsibility to those who need to see that you have made a difference in our lives in ways they want to imitate and experience. 
And nobody else can do that for us because though we may not even know it, they are watching us to see if we're the real thing. So as things get back to normal, whatever normal is, and we move on to the next sermon series or resume previous books or topics, as we get back to our regular weekday routines, help us do so. Thankful for the way you work in God's people around the world, but ever more eager to find out who it is that you have called and called no one but us to touch with your love and your truth for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.